Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Here's Johnny. And here's James. Uh, I'm Simon Rose, but I'm introducing James Cameron Wilson because we're going to be looking at the UK cinema and how the box office has been going. I don't know if you've seen James, but uh, Cineworld is in desperate straits. Um, a court has uh, made a judgment against them for uh, calling off a take of a bid. And um, the stock market is, people in the stock market are saying Cineworld is effectively worth nothing. The investors have no money. So goodness knows what that will mean for the future of the chain. I'm sure somebody will be operating it, but they are in desperate straits. Um, but we are going to talk about the box office as it was last weekend. So what is top? Well, indeed, but I should mention one word which you may have heard of. Omicron or Omicron, which has had a noticeable impact on the box office, which is down again another 15.7% from the previous weekend. And we've been seeing these dips um, for the last few weeks. But there is a new film at number one and a new film at number two. So Mm -hmm. it's not all bad. And we've got a very big film which opened yesterday. Uh, I should say, on Wednesday of this week, well, I saw it yesterday, called Spider-Man, oh, No yes. Way Home. Yes, and it was Spider-Man. packed. Oh, really? And I was told by the person I was talking to at the door that they had 900 admissions, which is pretty healthy for a small Cotswold mm. multiplex for one day. Wow. That is quite extraordinary. So we'll so see that. In spite of Omicron. Uh, so you think, well, will they be counting all those in the weekend box office? We shall find out, I guess. But um, you've talked at length over the years about the way in which opening weekends can be massaged by films uh, it, opening indeed, like, very yeah, early. Yeah. Well, well um, we, I think Comscore, where we get our figures from, they will include the preview figures. Yeah, so yeah. it'll look very handsome indeed. Okay. But, and I was a bit disappointed because I think certainly on the other side of the Atlantic, there was feeling that this being a Steven Spielberg film at number one, yeah. it was going to do considerably better. I'm not sure what, well, I'm not sure what, how it's done in the US, but over here it made 1.3 million. Terribly, pounds. terribly disappointing. I've, I've been reading in the States, much below um, expectations. Um, uh, what was the, what was the, 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 the other musical in the Heights earlier in the year? Apparently yeah. it's been sort of compared, not doing, not doing as well as that. Um, but maybe it will last. I mean, you know, it depends what your reviews like. But the reviews I've seen have been pretty good. So maybe word of mouth will help. But Omicron, I'm sure, won't. Omicron. Um, so what did you think? I mean, Spielberg, long cherished um, project. Well, the moment the film starts with a confident camera pan over what looks like a bomb site from the Second World War, there is a feeling of something recognizable but revitalized. We hear the familiar whistle 
over the soundtrack and we can instantly relax knowing that we are in the hands of arguably the most successful, skillful storyteller on the planet, Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. And here, of course, he's united with the Shakespeare of musical theatre, Stephen Sondheim, who passed away just three days before the film's premiere. The irony, if you can call it that, is that Sondheim was so set on being a Broadway composer in the 1950s that he almost turned down the opportunity of working as a lyricist on the original 1957 production. In the event, the show, set on the Upper West Sides of Manhattan and a modern reinvention of Romeo and Juliet, is frequently cited as being the greatest musical of all time. Indeed, when 20th Century Fox produced the film version under the direction of Robert Wise, it went on to win 10 Oscars, including a statuette for Best Picture, even, well, more than any musical before or since, at least until 2022. It's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. Many have been aghast at the prospect of a remake of such a perfect film. But I, I think the themes of intolerance and racism had not gone away in the intervening 60 years. And if anything, feel more pertinent today than ever before. So the new film, still set in the mid-1950s, has become a period piece, unlike the original, when streams of dancers could pirouette down 68th Street without causing too much obstruction. Having said that, a good old knees up didn't stop the cast of other such New York set musicals as Fame and In the Heights. This is the story, of course, of two rival gangs competing for the same turf. So we have the Caucasian Jets and the Puerto Rican Sharks. When ex-jailbird Tony, played by Ansel Elgort, falls for the Puerto Rican Maria. Tony almost killed a boy once, but as he says, I want to be unlike I was. Elgort is the only real name in the cast, but with Spielberg's hovering over the title, who needs a star? The director's E.T. didn't do that badly without one, and Spielberg is in the business of making stars. Here, Maria is played by a New Jersey-born singer who, unlike Natalie Wood in the original part, who, of course, was dubbed by Marnie Nixon. Mm -hmm. uh, this actress can sing like a seraph and lights up the screen whenever she's on. In fact, she's already a star. America's National Board of Review has named her their best actress of 2021. And Disney has signed her up for the lead in its big budget live action adaptation of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, opposite Gal Gadot's evil queen, both of which I think is terrific casting. The other notable presence, of course, is supplied by Rita Moreno, who is now 90 years old, yes. yeah. who won an Oscar for playing Anita in the original film, and now gets to play Tony's employer and confidant. She even gets to sing the show's original showstopper, Somewhere, rewritten for her character of Valentina. If anything, Spielberg and his Sonaris Tony Kushner have sharpened and fine-tuned the original film, adding a little bit more violence, I noticed, in line for a modern audience. Not much, just, just a little. 
Now, there's a reason that Romeo and Juliet has endured for so many centuries, and the story still has a walloping impact, even though we all know the ending. There were audible sobs at the screening I attended, although personally, I just shuddered discreetly. So whether one is bewitched by the magnificent cinematography, courtesy of Spielberg regular Janusz Kaminski, mm. Leonard Bernstein's score, sometimes lyrics, or the radiant, passionate Rachel Zegler as Maria, there is much to celebrate in what I thought was an intelligent, proficient adaptation. Um, I was just looking at the numbers and it uh, took $10.6 million in its first weekend in North America, which apparently is considered pretty bad because uh, In the Heights took uh, 11.5 and that also opened on HBO Max at exactly the same time. Oh, so they're saying yes. that, you know, West Side Story sort of done so much better. Um, so we just have to hope maybe that uh, Omicron vanishes very quickly and um, takings improve. I mean, I, I'm due to see it this coming weekend, but I know the other people in the party are already getting terribly nervous, so I just don't know if it's going to happen or not. I am keen to, to see it, um, James. I can't decide whether I should watch the original first or afterwards. What I did, I watched the extras on my DVD just to get into these, the flavour right. of the film and right. get excited about it. <laughs> right. I, could, I couldn't act. It's quite long. I couldn't watch the whole thing again. Yes. So it came, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, maybe a couple of years that I saw the original. And I haven't seen it for a long, long time. Um, but look, let's, uh, we're going to go into another film in a moment. If you say number two in the chart is also a new film. Um, so let us briefly take a, a, a break. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson, who has been extolling the virtues of West Side Story. Go and see it. Apart from anything else, cinema may be the safest place to go. There'll be nobody else there. Well, um, it, I, I have to say, the woman behind me was coughing into my hair, uh, what hair I've got, and I was very noticeable of that. But, of course, you're not meant to leave your seat because you have to tell the, the staff where you're sitting so they can actually disinfect it when you leave. Otherwise, I would have moved away from her coffee. Oh, well, how utterly bizarre. But it, presumably she was masked, wasn't she? I mean, she was supposed to be wearing masks in cinemas now. Well, I could hear, I, mean, I could feel the breeze in my oh. hair. So my guess is she wasn't masked. Very, un, very unpleasant, James. But anyway, we wow. have a new film at number two, which mm. made £4,500. Oh, sorry. How much did West Side Story take, actually? I'm not sure you told me. Over the weekend, £1.3 million. Pounds. Oh, gosh. Okay. That's not much. No. Right. Okay. Uh, certainly for a Spielberg. Yeah. And of course, this is his first musical. And yes, I'd like him to yes. make many more yeah. in the future. Uh, okay. uh, number two, we've got a film that actually made only four and a half thousand pounds less than West Side Story. So it too roughly made 1.3 million pounds. This is called Clifford, 
the big red dog. Uh, now, Clifford the Big Red Dog obviously wants to be Paddington, or better still, Paddington mm. 2. So there's a lot of comic business, some of it very funny. Witty dialogue, visual gags, and the comic presence of Jack Whitehall in the lead. You're looking pained, Simon. Well, I, I, the title's <laughs> not grabbing me, but and the fact that it's done almost as well as West Side Story is paining me. But to, to find out first, it may be, it may be absolutely brilliant. Um, well, I didn't grow up with Clifford the Big Red Dog. Winnie never the Pooh. Heard of was, it. Have you not? No. Aha! Well, Winnie the Pooh was my chosen animal, but Clifford, being American, my half American daughter grew up with him. Oh, okay. However, I had no idea that its creator, the writer and illustrator. Norman Bridwell was responsible for 60 Clifford books. Obviously, when you're dealing with a 52-foot dog or a 10-foot one featured in the film, animation is the way to go. But Clifford has already been animated, animated in a trio of TV series and a TV movie and a stage musical and see... CGI being what it is, this was the next big step. So this is a big franchise, Simon. 60 books. So I grew up reading Clifford the Big Red Dog to my daughter. So I was very familiar with him. I just didn't know quite the extent of his fame. But only in New York could you find an apartment that could happily accommodate a dog of this size, even as it destroys everything around him. I know it's materialistic of me, but I cared more for the objects in the flat than I did for the actual <laughs> Even so, the film is very well-paced. Jack Whitehall, I, I adore Jack Whitehall. He's ineffably amusing, while a pack of recognisable faces in the supporting ranks, including Rosie Perez as a receptionist, who has just a couple of lines. And really? This being the actress who was once nominated for an Oscar for Peter Weir's Fearless. I was so surprised. I thought, is that Rosie Perez? But the I film is packed. Yeah, you're going. No, no, I'm, I'm going to have to look it up. I saw her in something the other day and was incredibly surprised she was, she was, she was there and that we hadn't seen her for such a long time. And believe me, it wasn't Clifford the Big Red Dog. I'm trying to remember what it was now. But I'll well, find I'm it. I'm glad she's still getting the work. Yeah. Well, I, of course, Ray Dawn Chong is in. I think is it impeachment on television at the moment in a, in a supporting role. Mm. Uh, and she was a very big star. A anyway, um, this, this has actually got a very Anglo-Saxon feel to the film because we've got John Cleese as narrator, Sienna Guillory playing the little girl's mother, whose brother, played by Jack Whitehall, moved to New York at the age of two, which has given him a whole lifetime to pick up every American accent going. But there's one sequence where he actually imitates an English accent, which is kind of surreal when he's an English actor born in London, playing an American, imitating an English accent. But he's very funny. I found myself laughing out loud a lot. I think the elephant in the room, though, is the dog, because it's so expressionless. I, I didn't care for the dog. It destroyed everything in its path. Mm. It was flatulent. Uh, and obviously there were the, the usual um, jo uh, jokes, but I, I found it a little... Um, mm. uh, well, it's got a PG certificate, let's <laughs> say. But I enjoyed it. It was sweet. It was funny. It, 
it moved and yeah, I, I think kids will love it, even if they don't know who Clifford the Big Red Dog is. Yeah. But we've I got saw, to get I, back to yeah. the charge. I saw yeah. her in, yes, and I saw her in a TV TV show, the flight flight attendant. Um, she was in that um, a while back. Um, okay, so yes, let's zip down the shot then, James. Okay, well, at number three, we've got House of Gucci, which was at number one, which is Ridley Scott's very disappointing story uh, of the Gucci's with Adam Driver and Lady mm-hmm. Gaga, who's still being well, predicted that she's going to get an Oscar nomination. That's got £780,000, down 48%, with a total of £7.3 million mm. sterling. At number four, Encanto, down 50%, which was at number two, with £4.2 million in the bank. At number five, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which was directed by Ivan, sorry, Jason Reitman, the son of Ivan Reitman, and I really enjoyed it. It's got a real feel of stranger things about it. It's down 45% with a total of £10.1 million. Eternals, which I also liked, directed, of course, by Chloe Zhao, the Oscar winner this year for Best Director for Nomadland, starring Gemma Chan, down 52% with a total of £14.8 million. But again, considered a disappointment commercially at seven we've got a horror film called home alone which can you believe came out 31 years ago with macaulay culkin some people call it a comedy i found it pretty (laughs) horrifying well the poor boy left all by himself and then having to deal with these burglars at eight we've got no time to die which was at number six down 56 percent with a total of 96.3 million pounds it's overtaken spectre it's still catching up with Skyfall. At number nine, we've got another Christmas film called Elf with James Kahn mm. and Will Ferrell, directed by John Favreau, who is very prominent in a new film this week called Spider-Man No Way Home. And at 10, we've got A Boy Called Christmas, which is a festive fantasy from Gil Keenan, who actually co-wrote Ghostbusters Afterlife with Jason Reitman. And he's now directed this, which is an adaptation of Matt Haig's book, a sort of Father Christmas origins tale with a very strong supporting cast, including Maggie Smith, Toby Jones, Christine Wieg, Sally Hawkins, Jim Broadbent, Stephen Merchant. And it's got very good reviews, although it's nowhere near me. So I haven't seen it. Not that I haven't had plenty to watch. This week, including the new big f- film on Netflix. But well, you before we talk like about, about that, you're going to be talking yeah. about Spider-Man now, or are you going to leave it until um, next week? I mean, if you don't want to actually review it now, maybe at least tell people whether they ought to head out to see it or not. So no, I think and... that's very fair. Um, it is very long, but it doesn't feel long, which I think is a great mm. thing. Great thing. It's got as many surprises in it as No Time to Die. I did laugh out loud. I think it helps mm. if you have a familiar, a, a, a knowledge of the time-space continuum and quantum physics. It really does go above. <laughs> As we all do. Yes. But, yeah. I just, I, I just took it on trust, really, that what was happening was possible with at least within the realms of the Marvel universe. Tom Holland as Spider-Man, I think, is probably one of the most likable and engaging superheroes that we have at the moment. I laughed, but 
ultimately, I think it is so complicated. There are so many characters and so many narrative trajectories that I wasn't confused. I think it's quite clear, but I didn't have that sense of exhilaration that you should get with the best superhero movies. Mm. There's some wonderful supporting turns. John Favreau is always good value as happy who crops up. And, and as I, I say, there are a lot of surprises. I, I could feel the love coming from the audience. As I say, it was packed when mm, I saw intriguing. it. Intriguing. Okay, uh, well, I, we'll I review Tom that Holland. properly. Let's yeah, review yeah, that indeed, properly indeed. next week. So you, there's, a, there's a Netflix movie you want to talk about. Yeah, this is called The Unforgivable, which is starring Sandra Bullock, who also produced it, based on the 2009 three-part TV series starring Sheeran Jones and Peter Davison, which I never got to see. And I was totally gripped by this throughout because I think themes of forgiveness and second chances just really shake me up. And I think we're all capable of doing terrible, terrible things in the right circumstances. And we see Sandra Bullock as Ruth, who is released from prison, having spent 20 years inside. And... There's something odd with Sandra Bullock's face, which I suspect has something to do with Botox, which is a shame because I think she gives a very good performance. But you care for her and she's trying to do the right thing. And there are lots of flashbacks and gradually you realise why she was put behind bars. But she's, she's let out early for good behaviour and she's trying to get her life on track. But of course... Because of her record, her criminal record, she finds it hard to get work. And she ends up doing the graveyard shift, cutting up fish in this terrible factory where she's hit on by John Bernthal, who I hope will get an Oscar no nomination for King Richard. He's very much around at the moment. And then she, you realise that she's actually very talented as a carpenter and she manages to get a job to sort of blagging her way Basically, rather than giving a reference, she said, give me one hour in this room. And she is very talented with wood. And I, I really fell for her character. The problem with the film, I think, ultimately, is because you're reducing a three-part TV series into under two hours, they, they try to have all those mm. narrative um extras in a two-hour film and i think they needed to cut back because there's just too much going on and well, some of it is yeah. implausible unfortunately near the end i thought really i was just quite happy to see ruth get back on her feet an actress uh, who i always feel had better roles she had one or two but always had better roles in her than she seemed to choose she did do some very odd ones bizarre though to think that there's this big film with Sandra Bullock based on a Sally Wainwright TV series because she did Last Tango in Halifax and Happy yeah, Valley and, and various I, I would recommend it heartily it's okay. just not as good as it could have been because it just doesn't have that plausibility okay. factor um, well now for once I'm ahead of you because just before we we started our chat I checked my emails and um, uh, the uh, London Film Critics Award nominations have come through James. Oh, um, wow. So, uh, oh my God. one film has got nine nominations. I wonder if you can guess what it, what it is. Well, I would hope it's The Power of the Dog, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, who is in a new film called 
Spider-Man, No Way Home. Oh, right. It and is indeed The Power of the Dog, which is, which is, of course, a Netflix film, which means that people don't have to necessarily to wait to go to the cinema to see it, um, which is excellent. Um, so that's got nine nominations. Um, oh, I'm very far happy ahead to hear that. I'm and very happy, I Net voted for that. Yes, bizarrely, heavily. Netflix also have second position, because with six nominations is The Lost Daughter. That's because Netflix actually sent out DVDs, unlike everybody else. Well, that's intriguing how important that is. Um, I talked to one film producer last week and said, who have you been voting for? He said, I haven't voted for anybody. I haven't got my DVDs yet. I said, well, aren't you being sent links? He said, oh, I don't do links. No. And, well, BAFTA have moved to that this this year, I know, as, a, as a, um, a member of BAFTA, I find it far harder to do that. But there have been some. And as you point out, it's mostly Netflix. So I should think they'll romp home. And um, whether anybody will learn that lesson, I do not know. Um, well, the so. Souvenir Part 2 has five nominations. And with four nominations, we have After Love, Belfast, Drive My Car, the French Dispatch and um, West Side Story, though I suspect many of the critics might not have actually had time. These are, of course, just the nominations. We've also had, I think, Golden Globe nominations, haven't we? Um, shall I just read you very briefly the list of films of the year? So these are the ones that the film critics will be voting on to see what the best film of the year is. And we have, again, West Side Story, Belfast, Drive My Car, Dune, Licorice Pizza, which I'm looking forward to, The Lost Daughter, mm. Memoria, The Power of the Dog, of course, The Souvenir Part Two, and, um, and Titane. If that's how you pronounce it. So, uh, James, that's that intriguing as we get into the awards season. And it's just so interesting. I mean, for years, um, uh, there were all these, um, you know, big bashes. And then people said, well, you can't actually sort of, you know, give people who are going to vote all this, this wonderful um, moolah and fantastic food and drink. But all it needs is to send a DVD instead of a screening link. And the chances are you're going to do much better in the award. Can I just tell you my best actor and best actor? Very quick. Before we go. Yes. Okay. Yes. Benedict Cumberbatch, who's also in another amazing film, which is opening on, I think it's New Year's Day, called The Electrical Life of Louis mm. Wayne and Jessica right. Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Okay. Best actress. James, thank you very much indeed. That's uh, James Cameron Wilson. Uh, we will be back with more uh, Business of Film at the same time next week. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Easy, miss. I've got you. you you've got me? Who's got you? <laughs> I am not an animal! Where the devil are my slippers? <laughs> <laughs>